Our Father and our God, when you gave permission this morning for the sun to rise, you commissioned the morning shift of creation to bring praises and honor and glory to your great name. It is a rich privilege for us, Father, to join in with all of creation that is now extolling your greatness, proclaiming the invisible qualities of our great God all over the universe. And tonight, when you give the sun permission to set, you will invite the night shift to proclaim your glory to the ends of the universe because you are an infinite and holy and powerful and everlasting and merciful God. You have revealed yourself to us in Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. While we were yet sinners, died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. So Lord, I thank you that now as we turn our attention to the written word of God, that you would see fit to cause us to focus our attention on you, to lose ourselves in your greatness. And listen carefully to your Holy Spirit as he ministers to our hearts. Father, there are many distractions. There's an enemy who opposes everything good and righteous. But you are greater. And so we call on you. We call on the name of the Lord. Jehovah God is his name. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Well, Israel stood at the borderland between wilderness and the wandering among the landscape of enemies and obstacles and the promised land that was set before them, the place of God's fullness, the place he promised them. And in between the wilderness and the promised land was a great, big, scary obstacle. It was the Jordan River at flood stage, raging torrent. Now they had um, a decision to make. They had spent 40 years pitching their tent on the wilderness side, staring at the land of promise. The question is, are you going to keep your tents pitched there? Or are you going to go and have what God wants for you? Are you going to continue to live small or go big? I don't think this story is just about Israel. Several thousand years ago. I think the question goes out to us. There are a lot of Christians who are living in the borderland, wandering around in the wilderness spiritually. 
accommodating their enemies, compromising with obstacles, and not attaining what God wants us to have in the fullness of Christ. Frustrated. So the question goes out to you. You want to hang around in the wilderness for the rest of your life? Or do you want to trust God to go big for God? The real question that I want to address this morning is this. Can I trust God with my life? Now, I know that we know what the right answer to say is. Of course I can. Can I trust him to take me to a good place in the midst of all of the other competing offers and options in life? Can I really trust him with my life? Is God the God of heaven and the God of earth? If you have your Bibles, and I'm sure you do, please turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. There are enemies and obstacles that force spiritual smallness upon you. But at the end of chapter 2 of Joshua, we discovered last week that the spies made a really positive and amazing confession. And they said this, verse 24 of chapter 2, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. The whole land. The Lord has given us the fullness of what he has promised into our hands. Now that's not just a New Testament or an Old Testament reality. If we go fast forwarding to the New Testament, we will find that um, in Ephesians chapter 4, where it is granted to us there an outline of the purpose of ministry, we find there that the purpose of ministry is to move people to maturity. Ephesians 4, verse 13. And the purpose of that maturity is that we might attain to the fullness of Jesus Christ. It is an offer to everyone who comes into the family of God that you too can enjoy the fullness of Jesus Christ in your life. But there are many obstacles, there are many enemies. There is a major conquest ahead. The land of Canaan was foreboding, they'd never been there before. It was unconquered. Now, um, each of us know if we answered the question right, can I trust God with my life and is God powerful and all of that? And if we answered that right, then all of us know that that God could have handed the the promised land to the people on a silver platter. Here, have it. Couldn't he? Couldn't he do that with you? Say, here, have it. Here. Instantly, the attainment of the fullness which is in Christ Jesus. It's yours. But he chooses not to do that. In order to do that, he would have to um, completely demolish the enemy in opposition, in particular, Satan himself. But he chooses not to do that at this time. God's purpose and agenda and plan is that through the church, through the, his manifold wisdom would be displayed, Ephesians chapter 3, And that he would embarrass the demons and defeat them 
Not demolish them, but defeat them through the power of transformed lives in the church. Attaining to the full measure and it, that is in Christ Jesus. And what that requires of necessity is that we cooperate with the work that he's doing in our lives to move us forward in conquest. For Israel, it was a big river. For you, I don't know what it is. But there may be an obstacle, a big obstacle in your way. You've kind of learned to live with the lump in your life. Become familiar. But it's there and it's holding you back from from all that Christ wants you to have. So this morning, I want to give you from the text in Joshua 3, three keys. Three keys this morning for crossing over from wilderness to fullness. What, what, what does it require? Because this really, Joshua chapter 3, is a template for an Old Testament story, real, true history, a New, temp, a New Testament example for us, a pattern, a paradigm, a template for us on moving from wilderness to fullness in Christ. If you have your Bibles, Joshua 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among us. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today... I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan... The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. They piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowed down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is the Word of God. May it strengthen us today. 
Did you notice as we were moving our way through the text, first of all, that the first instruction that Joshua gave to the people was to follow, when you see the ark, follow it. When you see the ark, fix your eyes on the ark. Focus your eyes on the ark. You see, the ark was the symbol of the presence of God. The first key to this crossing over to, from wilderness to what God has for you is to focus on God so you can follow him. In fact, um, this ark, the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, is, is a symbol, it was a symbol for Israel that, that God is with us, Emmanuel. You know that, that if you read back in the Old Testament scriptures that in that ark, it was a a four-foot structure by two-and-a-half by two-and-a-half-foot structure. In that ark, they had placed the two tablets where God had autographed the Ten Commandments. They placed in there a jar of manna, reminding them that their God was able to provide for their needs. And on top of the, of the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, were, were two, cherubims, two, two cherubim that were fashioned that was a symbol of the mercy seat, the God of all mercy, It rests above this place. This is his description. This is who he is. Of course, in the New Testament, the fullness, the fullest expression of the presence of God is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ, who is the bread of heaven. Jesus Christ, who himself now sits on the mercy seat, offering mercy and forgiveness to us. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because there are many other competing options for our gaze. There are... um, Many things that want to distract you, the steering wheel of your life, and keep you in the uh, direction of the wilderness. And you realize that unless I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the power of God, these obstacles will never be taken away. Because you can't defeat the obstacle yourself. Whatever it is in your life, whatever it is that is holding you from from experiencing the fullness of every blessing in Christ. But whatever it is that that is not enabling you to be at a point where people look at you and say, My goodness, you are so Christ-like. There's something, some things... These obstacles and these things that are competing for your gaze, whether they be material desires or entertainment distractions or people you find interesting, all of them occupy time and energy and resources and distract you from the things of Christ. And so he says to them, I I want to make sure that the ark is is at least a thousand yards away from everybody. Now, why? Why? That's a great distance. I, I was out driving and, um, and I saw a sign that said 550 meters until the next intersection or whatever. And I looked at it and said, that's a long way. So double that. Why so far? Well, first of all, God is so holy. 
amazing. You don't just um, rush up to him with, uh, with carelessness. But that's not the primary reason. We're talking about hundreds and thousands of people. And, 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 the, and the, 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 the command from God was keep your eyes fixed on the presence of God. Make sure that all the people have the right sight line. Because there are a lot of things competing for their gaze. In particular, this dramatic river that's standing there. But if you're a thousand yards away, even vertically challenged guys like me can see the ark of God. See, when you're up close, you're in a crowd. Where is it? I can't see. I can't see the ark of God. I, I don't have the sight lines to keep my eyes fixed on the presence, the symbol of the presence of God. But if I'm back a thousand yards, everybody could look. There it is. There's the presence of God. Keep your eyes fixed there. Follow that. You ever wondered why um, they got up early in the morning and broke camp and Joshua takes them all the way to the, the banks of the river and then for three days they stand there staring at the obstacle. Regularly God um, confronts us with whatever it is that's in the way and wants us to get to the place where we'll finally say, Lord, I realize that this thing is way too big for me. I, I've been trying to tackle this thing all by myself, but I can't do it. I realize now I can't do it. This obstacle is too big for me. I had to keep my eyes fixed and focused on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. Some of you have met a friend of mine who I met this summer by the name of D.P., you met him a couple of sunny nights ago when I shared the sabbatical stories with you, but not everybody was there. So some of you don't know this guy. Goes by his initials, DP. He's a clinical psychologist in India. I met him in the Mid-Pacific Advanced Leadership Training Center. DP is a clinical psychologist, has a family, practices in India, has a wife who has a PhD in physics. She teaches at Columbia University in New York City. I asked him, like, how's that working for you? Like, why do you do that? You, how does that work for your family? He said, well, let me tell you about um, our, our, our ministry. He says, um, I'm also a part-time pastor in addition to being a clinical psychologist. And I have a Bible college, and I have 70 students in that Bible college. And at my Bible college, you come tuition-free. He says, the only way that we can possibly afford to have tuition-free is someone's got to pay the bills. And, and so my wife teaches at Columbia University and we use her salary and my salary to finance the Bible college. Now, now I think DP and his wife are a couple of people who know what it is to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Because it strikes me that, that Christ has removed from their lives the obstacle of selfishness That they might give themselves and give their lives to the cause of Christ. Have we any idea what the salary of a university professor at Columbia University, New York City, would earn as well as a clinical psychologist in India and what they could do with that money in the land of India in terms of living a life of luxury with all kinds of distractions? Joshua says to them, look at This river is here. 
But in order to get to the promised land, we have to keep our eyes fixed on God and follow him because we don't know the way to go, and he does. But I noticed something else in verse 5. Notice what it says in your Bibles. Second key. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. In other words, deal with your sin. Make sure your heart is clean. God will not take a sinfully sloppy soul to a spiritually excellent place. You're saying, wait a second. Sin is my obstacle. Okay. So God says, deal with it. That thing you've been binging on for years, you need to purge yourself of. Because sin and amazing don't work together for God. He's inviting you. He's inviting you to say no to your sin. The simple truth is you can't be at war with God personally and expect him to take care of obstacles on your behalf. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is the ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Joshua is saying to the people, you, you need a resolve in your heart. It says, I, I've had enough of this. I know that, that God's power is greater I know that he has rescued me out of the slave market of sinfulness and myself. And I know that if I trust in him and place myself in in his hands, under his power, that I can say no to this sin and move on. Turn my back on it. Is God trustworthy or not? Can you trust him with your life or not? You know, I've studied this text All week long, and I've studied it before that, over the years. And it wasn't until I was reading it right now with you that I saw something that is really amazing. I I suspect some of you saw it, but as I was reading, I noticed there's an emphasis here. I noticed an emphasis uh, back in verses 10... This is how you will know the living God is among you, and they will certainly drive out all these people. And then it says, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And notice he says, the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And then in verse 13 it says, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Now, I never noticed that until I just read it this morning with you. We all know that he's the God of heaven. And the confession that Rahab made was that he's the God, I know that he is the God of heaven and the God of earth. So so is he just this transcendent God way up there who really can't deal with my issues? Or is he the God of earth as well, the imminent God? And and the emphasis here that Joshua is making as he interjects it, by the way, he's the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. He's, He's God, the God of all the earth. So that even this river that's sitting before you, this is an earthly thing. This is a physical thing. This is the kind of thing that God is the Lord of. See. Can I trust him? 
Now, on the eve of God's outstanding act, it is then that our sinfulness will be most scrutinized. If you're serious about moving ahead for God, it is then that he most scrutinizes your sinfulness. That's why I'm really excited about what's going on here at Calvary Baptist Church these days. I think we're on the eve, on the edge of some amazing things that God wants to do. I I just see people getting serious about their sinfulness and and, and getting serious about God and wanting to go forward with God. And and I have to believe that as I study the scriptures, that must mean we're on the eve of God wanting to do something amazing with us. And I'm excited about that, that, that he's, he's bringing us to an awareness of, of who we really are and who he really is and what we need to do about the two things. You can stand there staring at the Jordan, but if you want to cross over it, then you need to focus on God and you need to make sure your heart is clean. Because if you think that you can go across that river, across that obstacle that's in your life while you are um, compromising or incorporating your sinfulness into your life, you have another thing coming to you. It'd be like um, jumping into the river with a bunch of weights on and thinking you can swim and and, and get to the other side because you're not going over there. And God wants you to cross over from the wilderness To his fullness. I haven't counted it, but the scholars tell me in chapter 3 and chapter 4, 22 times the word cross, cross over, is used. It's the emphasis of the text. It's, It's moving from wilderness to the fullness of God. If you underline your NIV, trust me, if you underline your NIV, you only get 12. I've done it. But in the original language, you're going to find 22. It's a huge emphasis. So, we know that uh, Jesus is to be our focus, our vision. That facing our sin and resolving to be done with it is necessary. What next? Verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And he tells all the other Israelites, come and hear what the words of the Lord says. You need to follow those guys in the river. Uh, The next um, first go big baby step here is to go stand in the river. (laughs) Go get your feet wet. Do something scary for Jesus. See, the question that comes up at us in this text and in our lives in general is, are are we going to let the obstacles and enemies that are all around us define the limits of our lives? Or are we going to go and do what God tells us to do? Are we going to be in a position to do what God calls us to do? That's the question. So the the third key, I think, that that grows out of this text is, are we we going to adopt a lifestyle prescribed by God or not? And at this moment, he's prescribing that they go to the edge of the river and step in. Now, if you stay standing, staring at the river like you always have... Nothing's going to change. I was thinking about this request or command of God, and I was thinking, you know what? Um, I, I was, there was probably a, 
nearly a million people who were gathered in this great throng to cross this river. And, and I would guess if there were about a million people, there were a million excuses not to go across the river. What do you think? I, I was thinking of a few of them. Like most of these people, by the way, they, they were people who had lived inland their whole lives. They, they really hadn't seen much major water. Oh, they'd seen some water struck out of a rock and come out and... Some of them have seen a few trickles like that, but they'd never seen a raging river. By the way, this is the Jordan River, it says, at the harvest time. There are two harvests. This is the spring harvest when the ice has melted off the mountains and the, the torrential water is rushing through the Jordan River. This is a big deal. So they were thinking about how inexperienced they are. We, we've never done this kind of thing with water before, Lord. Are you aware of that? As I was looking at the crowd in my mind, my imagination, I was thinking, too, about some of the ladies who were there, younger ladies, young women, like Genevieve here, with a little baby. I was thinking about being a leader there, and and God says, we're going into that river, and I was thinking, what about her and her baby? And and many of them. Lord, Lord, this is a really risky ministry. This is a really risky mission. Are you sure? You want us to go there? I was thinking if there are young women with babies, there are probably older people and disabled people. What about them? They're going too? Yeah, they're going. Don't you know that they're weak? I was thinking that um, there might have been like Former engineers like Dwayne amidst. They'd be saying, hey, wait a second, there are no bridges. There, there's no uh, boats. There's no life jackets. Lord, we got no resources. Are you aware of that? If there were people and babies and older people and disabled people, there were also livestock. Because that's what they were. They were farmers and Lord, Lord, this flock of sheep, it's all I have. This, this, this is my livelihood. If they go plunging into this river, I've got nothing else. Can you look after me? Can you look after our livelihood too? I was thinking then there might be some people, sort of the theologians in the midst, they'd be saying, the pastors, they'd be saying, wait a minute, we're supposed to take the ark of the Lord and get that thing wet? That's like inviting people to bring coffee into the auditorium. (laughs) Then I was thinking there might be some designer women there, you know, in their stiletto sandals. (laughs) Saying like, is this thing going to get messy? I don't know, you can probably come up with all kinds of other ideas and stories, but... God's word to them was, you need to go. You need to step up. The promised land's not going to come to you. You need to take a courageous act. And by the way, did you notice? He said, tell the priests, you're going in first. So you want leadership. That's what you're looking for? 
Leadership comes with some pretty stiff responsibilities about leading the way. What it means to move from wilderness to the place of the fullness of Christ where you're trusting him with everything is to adopt the lifestyle that God is prescribing for you right now regardless of how odd or unnerving it is. It is his way to prosper on the land, the earth over which he is God. So the immediate question is, can God take care of this water? Can he take care of this river? What do you think? Can he take care of it? Can he? Is God powerful? I mean, we come here and we sing Sunday after Sunday. God is so great. He's so amazing. He's the Lord of the universe. We trust him with everything. And then we leave here. Scared to death. God is so powerful. He's so amazing. We sing about him. We we say, yes, he can take care of the river. Are you going to step in? You going to cross it? God is so amazing. He's so great. We're all panicking about H1N1. Oh, no. He's surely not the God of germs. Okay, it's a river in this story, but you write write your own story. What is it for you? I introduced some of you to um, Yashin Askaru as well. He's a Turkish guy. He happens to be the guy that you can't see with a flag around his head. He's got a knife at his throat. It's a newspaper picture. He has a knife at his throat because he refuses to deny Jesus Christ as his savior. That's a radical Islamic fundamentalist who hates Christians. Three days after this incident, I heard this man's testimony, the man under the flag with the knife knife at his throat. He had faced the obstacle and the enemy and refused to compromise his beliefs. Believing that that was the day he was going to die. Rather than adapt a lifestyle to suit his desire to live, which would compromise his faith and not lead him to good places in God. Now, um, I don't know if you noticed in the text, but it says go, and then secondly, it says stand. Now, after you have stepped out, after you have moved forward in faith with God, he's asking you now to stand. After the human act of faith comes the realization that human actions won't bring conquest. Human action is not going to cause this crossover to take place. God will. This is his work. It's a correct perspective you have to come to in your life that that I can't do this. It's going to have to be God. And so he says to them, go and stand. 
Walk in with the Ark of the Covenant. As soon as your feet, it says in the text, hit the water, the water is going to pile up. And so you're thinking, you know what? That's what happened. And as you read through there, that's what it says. The water piled up. As soon as their, their feet touched the uh, edge of the river. Everything and everyone lived happily ever after. But wait a second. It says, a great distance off. You read it. In a town called Adam, near Zarethan. That town happens to be 30 kilometers or 19 miles away from the crossing site. Now, if the water piled up 30 kilometers away once they touched the water... That means that there was still a residual amount of water that had to roll down and clear away. Now, why did God do that? Because in the Red Sea crossing, they just saw the water pile right up, and there it was, and crossing they went. It says in the Word of God that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we live by faith, what? Not by sight. They had to trust at that moment and for a significant number of moments that God could take care of them. As the water continued to flow, maybe we got this wrong. As we're standing there, maybe we didn't hear it right. Did God really tell us to go forward? Did did He really want us to go into the promised land? Maybe because this isn't stopping. Away far off, out of their sight lines, the water had stopped. Now, what happens if their faith failed and they didn't believe God and they turned back? They would have missed this great, miraculous, powerful demonstration of God and the possibilities that lie before them. It says in the Word of God that faith is being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. God may have you downstream right now. You've been praying about this thing. You've been wanting to move forward for God. You've been believing that God is going to do something spectacular and amazing. You got your eyes fixed on Jesus. You're dealing with your sin. But you can't get across the obstacle. Brother and sister, don't, don't turn back now. Because the water might be piled up 30 kilometers out of your sight line. God's already acting on your behalf. Go and stand. And incidentally, we're going to carry on a little bit more on this story tonight at the Lord's table. But incidentally, they had to go stand in the center of the river. And wait while all these people, like a stream, flowed across the river believing that that water wasn't, was going to be held back while the mothers and their little babies and the livestock and the older people and the disabled people and all those people 
moved across the river, you stand there. And you don't move. Now, there's a lot of people who have tried to explain this miracle of God away. Because they don't want to believe he's the God of heaven and earth. They've suggested that, well, maybe just coincidentally a bunch of trees fell up the river and dammed it up and so that the water just coincidentally stopped flowing. And these people wrote an amazing story about the miraculous work of God. The Holy Spirit, in anticipating man's foolishness, describes to us that they walked across the river, and twice it's mentioned, twice in the next chapter, four times totally. They walked across the river on dry ground. Now, if a river is flowing at flood stage and it just happens to flow off and you've dammed it up, you are going to be up to your neck in mud. Not only did God stop the water and the river, he instantly dried up the river bed so that Sally Stiletto Sandal (laughs) who is like our God What, what is the problem you have in your life what is the obstacle you have in your life why are you living with that lump when God wants you to get rid of it and move forward with him I'm going to ask a musician to come here and as I pray, I just want to point out to you all over again that the writer to Hebrews said this, for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. There are four keys to conquest. I have three here, but there are four as I conclude. A Christward focus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, then you will know which way to go. Gotta have a clean heart because sin and amazing don't coexist. You've got to step forward with a courageous act because fullness in Christ will not come to you. You've got to let Christ take you to it. You've got to have a correct perspective. The people who please God live by faith, not by sight. I'm just going to ask you this morning, as I did uh, the first service, just if you wouldn't mind just standing and where you are, conclude with a, an opportunity for commitment because I'm just thinking that, that this is one of these moments in life where you, you get to the edge of the river all over again and you can just go away and keep staring at the other side and say, boy, I wish I could get to that other side someday and really experience what it is to have the fullness of Christ. Or today, you could say, you know what? That obstacle has been in my way. I, I, I'm believing that I could step out And God is going to take it away. God is going to move me forward. 
I believe that God is going to sweep away the, the sinfulness in my life if I'm willing to turn from it. I, I'm just believing that God wants me to have the, every spiritual blessing in Christ. I believe God wants me to be in that promised land and enjoy what it is to know his fullness in my life. I'm not going to embarrass anybody or anything, but I'm just making this front here available as sort of a, a place of commitment where if the Holy Spirit is, is twisting your heart this morning, saying he's talking to you, you, you you've got that thing, and, 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 and I'm going to de- deal with it. I'm going to deliver it. Now just step forward. Step out. Step into the water. Take that act of courage and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Like I said, I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to share what's going on in your life. I won't ask you anything unless you want to talk to me. But, but as we're standing here, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And, and, and the idea is that, that your church family and all of us, we can just pray for each other. Just, a, just an opportunity for us just to say, I'm, I'm driving a stake in this morning. I, I'm not going to stand on the other side of the river anymore staring at it. I've been doing that for too long. I, I want to go to the other side. I believe that Christ wants to take me there. So as we just bow our heads, just in the quietness of, of our thoughts with God, if this is something that you think would be meaningful to you to come and stand here and we can pray, then you do that. I'm not going to give any more invitation. That's just it. If you come here, we'll pray for you and then we'll go home. You come. Father and our God, you see these, your own, who are standing here before you this morning. They have uh, determined to take up the challenge, fixing their eyes on Christ. They have been committed to deal with their sin if there's a sin issue. Committed to step into a, a matter of faith, though they cannot see They believe you. And willing to stand. And believe that if this is going to happen, it has to be by the power of God in their lives. So, Father, I commit them to you. We as a congregation commit each other. That you might take us where you want to take us. With power. Because we have a world out there that doesn't know anything about the power of God. They need some testimonies and witness. They need to hear about the stories of the crossing of the river. They need to hear about the obstacles swept away in our lives, about the enemies that have been moved aside. They need to hear about liberation from sin. They need to hear about a people whose focus is on Jesus, lasered on him. Because they need him. Just like we need you. 
And so, Lord, to you alone be all the honor and the praise and the glory because you are powerful. In Jesus' name.